Part the First, Chapter Seven of Jude the Obscure by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The next day, Jude Fawley was pausing in his bedroom with the sloping ceiling, looking at the books on the table and then at the black mark on the plaster above them, made by the smoke of his lamp in past months. It was Sunday afternoon, four and twenty hours after his meeting with Arabella Dawn. During the whole bygone week he had been resolving to set this afternoon apart for a special purpose, the re-reading of his Greek Testament, his new one, with better type than his old copy, following Griesbach's text as amended by numerous correctors, and with variorum readings in the margin. He was proud of the book, having obtained it by boldly writing to its London publisher, a thing he had never done before. He had anticipated much pleasure in this afternoon's reading under the quiet roof of his great-aunt's house as formerly, where he now slept only two nights a week. But a new thing, a great hitch, had happened yesterday in the gliding and noiseless current of his life, and he felt as a snake must feel who has sloughed off its winter skin and cannot understand the brightness and sensitiveness of its new one. He would not go to meet her after all. He sat down, opened the book, and with his elbows firmly planted on the table and his hands to his temples, began at the beginning. Hey cane diatheke. Had he promised to call for her? Surely he had. She would wait indoors, poor girl, and waste all her afternoon on account of him. There was a something in her too which was very winning, apart from promises. He ought not to break faith with her. Even though he had only Sundays and weekday evenings for reading, he could afford one afternoon, seeing that other young men afforded so many. After today he would never probably see her again. Indeed, it would be impossible, considering what his plans were. In short, as if materially, a compelling arm of extraordinary muscular power seized hold of him, something which had nothing in common with the spirits and influences that had moved him hitherto. This seemed to care little for his reason and his will, nothing for his so-called elevated intentions, and moved him along as a violent schoolmaster a schoolboy he has seized by the collar in a direction which tended towards the embrace of a woman for whom he had no respect, and whose life had nothing in common with his own except locality. Heikene Diatheke was no more heeded, and the predestinate Jude sprang up and across the room. Foreseeing such an event he had already arrayed himself in his best clothes. In three minutes he was out of the house and descending by a path on the wide vacant hollow of corn-ground which lay between the village and the isolated house of Arabella in the dip beyond the upland. As he walked he looked at his watch. He could be back in two hours easily, and a good long time would still remain to him for reading after tea. Passing the few unhealthy fir-trees and the cottage where the path joined the highway he hastened along, and struck away to the left, descending the steep side of the country to the west of the brown house. Here at the base of the chalk formation he neared the brook that oozed from it, and followed the stream till he reached her dwelling. A smell of piggeries came from the back, and the grunting of the originators of that smell. He entered the garden and knocked at the door with the knob of his stick. Somebody had seen him through the window, for a male voice on the inside said, "'Arabella, here's your young man come courting. Mizzle, my girl!' Jude winced at the words. Courting, in such a business-like aspect as it evidently wore to the speaker, was the last thing he was thinking of. He was going to walk with her perhaps kiss her, but courting was too coolly purposeful to be anything but repugnant to his ideas. 
The door was opened and he entered, just as Arabella came downstairs, in radiant walking attire. "'Take a chair, Mr. What's-your-name,' said her father, an energetic black-whiskered man, in the same business-like tones Jude had heard from outside. "'I'd rather go out at once, wouldn't you?' she whispered to Jude. "'Yes,' said he. "'We'll walk up to the brown house and back. We can do it in half an hour.' Arabella looked so handsome amid her untidy surroundings that he felt glad he had come, and all the misgivings vanished that had hitherto haunted him. First they clambered to the top of the great down, during which ascent he had occasionally to take her hand to assist her. Then they bore off to the left, along the crest into the ridgeway, which they followed till it intersected the high road at the brown house aforesaid, the spot of his former fervid desires to behold Christminster but he forgot them now. He talked the commonest local twaddle to Arabella, with greater zest than he would have felt in discussing all the philosophies with all the dons in the recently adored university, and passed the spot where he had knelt to Diana and Phoebus without remembering that there were any such people in the mythology, or that the sun was anything else than a useful lamp for illuminating Arabella's face. An indescribable lightness of heel served to lift him along and Jude, the incipient scholar, prospective D.D., professor, bishop or what not, felt himself honoured and glorified by the condescension of this handsome country wench in agreeing to take a walk with him in her Sunday frock and ribbons. They reached the Brown House barn, the point at which he had planned to turn back. While looking over the vast northern landscape from this spot they were struck by the rising of a dense volume of smoke from the neighbourhood of the little town which lay beneath them at a distance of a couple of miles. "'It's a fire,' said Arabella. "'Let's run and see it. Do. It's not far.' The tenderness which had grown up in Jude's bosom left him no will to thwart her inclination now, which pleased him in affording him excuse for a longer time with her. They started off down the hill almost at a trot, but on gaining level ground at the bottom and walking a mile they found that the spot of the fire was much further off than it had seemed. Having begun their journey, however, they pushed on, but it was not till five o'clock that they found themselves on the scene, the distance being altogether about half a dozen miles from Mary Green and three from Arabella's. The conflagration had been got under by the time they reached it, and after a short inspection of the melancholy ruins they retraced their steps, their course lying through the town of Alfredston. Arabella said she would like some tea, and they entered an inn of the inferior class and gave their order. As it was not for beer, they had a long time to wait. The maid-servant recognized Jude and whispered her surprise to her mistress in the background that he, a student who kept himself up so particular, should have suddenly descended so low as to keep company with Arabella. The latter guessed what was being said and laughed as she met the serious and tender gaze of her lover the low and triumphant laugh of a careless woman who sees she is winning her game. They sat and looked round the room and at the picture of Samson and Delilah which hung on the wall, and at the circular beer-stains on the table, and at the spittoons underfoot filled with sawdust. The whole aspect of the scene had that depressing effect on Jude which few places can produce like a tap-room on a Sunday evening, when the setting sun is slanting in and no liquor is going, and the unfortunate wayfarer finds himself with no other haven of rest. It began to grow dusk. They could not wait longer, really, for the tea, they said. "'Yet what else can we do?' asked Jude. "'It is a three-mile walk for you.' "'I suppose we can have some beer,' 
said Arabella. Beer? Oh, yes, I had forgotten that. Somehow it seems odd to come to a public house for beer on a Sunday evening. But we didn't. No, we didn't. Jude by this time wished he was out of such an uncongenial atmosphere, but he ordered the beer, which was promptly brought. Arabella tasted it. Ugh! she said. Jude tasted. What's the matter with it? he asked. I don't understand beer very much now, it is true. I like it well enough, but it is bad to read on, and I find coffee better. But this seems all right. Adulterated. I can't touch it. She mentioned three or four ingredients that she detected in the liquor beyond malt and hops, much to Jude's surprise. How much you know? he said good-humouredly. Nevertheless she returned to the beer and drank her share, and they went on their way. It was now nearly dark, and as soon as they had withdrawn from the lights of the town they walked closer together, till they touched each other. She wondered why he did not put his arm round her waist, but he did not. He merely said what to himself seemed a quite bold enough thing. "'Take my arm.' She took it, thoroughly, up to the shoulder. He felt the warmth of her body against his, and putting his stick under his other arm, held with his right hand her right as it rested in its place. "'Now we are well together, dear, aren't we?' he observed. "'Yes,' she said, adding to herself, "'rather mild. How fast I have become!' he was thinking. Thus they walked till they reached the foot of the upland, where they could see the white highway ascending before them in the gloom. From this point the only way of getting to Arabella's was by going up the incline, and dipping again into her valley on the right. Before they had climbed far they were nearly run into by two men who had been walking on the grass unseen. "'These lovers, you find them out of doors in all seasons and weathers, lovers and homeless dogs only,' said one of the men as they vanished down the hill. Arabella tittered lightly. "'Are we lovers?' asked Jude. "'You know best. But you can tell me.' For answer she inclined her head upon his shoulder. Jude took the hint, and encircling her waist with his arm, pulled her to him and kissed her. They walked now no longer arm in arm, but, as she had desired, clasped together. "'After all, what did it matter since it was dark?' said Jude to himself. When they were halfway up the long hill they paused as by arrangement and he kissed her again. They reached the top and he kissed her once more. "'You can keep your arm there if you would like to,' she said gently. He did so, thinking how trusting she was. Thus they slowly went towards her home. He had left his cottage at half-past three, intending to be sitting down again to the New Testament by half-past five. It was nine o'clock when, with another embrace, he stood to deliver her up at her father's door. She asked him to come in if only for a minute, as it would seem so odd otherwise, and as if she had been out alone in the dark. He gave way and followed her in. Immediately that the door was open he found, in addition to her parents, several neighbours sitting round. They all spoke in a congratulatory manner, and took him seriously as Arabella's intended partner. They did not belong to his set or circle, and he felt out of place and embarrassed. He had not meant this. A mere afternoon of pleasant walking with Arabella, that was all he had meant. He did not stay longer than to speak to her stepmother, a simple, quiet woman without features or character, and bidding them all good-night, plunged with a sense of relief into the track over the down. But that sense was only temporary. Arabella soon reasserted her sway in his soul. 
he walked as if he felt himself to be another man from the Jude of yesterday. What were his books to him? What were his intentions, hitherto adhered to so strictly as to not wasting a single minute of time day by day? Wasting? It depended on your point of view to define that. He was just living for the first time, not wasting life. It was better to love a woman than to be a graduate, or a parson, aye, or a pope. When he got back to the house his aunt had gone to bed, and a general consciousness of his neglect seemed written on the face of all things confronting him. He went upstairs without a light, and the dim interior of his room accosted him with sad inquiry. There lay his book, open just as he had left it, and the capital letters on the title-page regarded him with fixed reproach in the grey starlight, like the unclosed eyes of a dead man. Hecane diatheke. Jude had to leave early next morning for his usual week of absence at lodgings, and it was with a sense of futility that he threw into his basket upon his tools and other necessaries the unread book he had brought with him. He kept his impassioned doings a secret almost from himself. Arabella, on the contrary, made them public among all her friends and acquaintance, retracing by the light of dawn the road he had followed a few hours earlier under cover of darkness, with his sweetheart by his side. He reached the bottom of the hill, where he walked slowly and stood still. He was on the spot where he had given her the first kiss. As the sun had only just risen it was possible that nobody had passed there since. Jude looked on the ground and sighed. He looked closely, and could just discern in the damp dust the imprints of their feet, as they had stood locked in each other's arms. She was not there now, and the embroidery of imagination upon the stuff of nature so depicted her past presence that a void was in his heart which nothing could fill. A pollard willow stood close to the place, and that willow was different from all other willows in the world. Utter annihilation of the six days which must elapse before he could see her again as he had promised would have been his intensest wish if he had had only one week to live. An hour and a half later Arabella came along the same way with her two companions of the Saturday. She passed unheedingly the scene of the kiss, and the willow that marked it, though chattering freely on the subject to the other two. And what did he tell he next? Then he said, and she related almost word for word some of his tenderest speeches. If Jude had been behind the fence he would have felt not a little surprised at learning how very few of his sayings and doings on the previous evening were private. "'You got him to care for you a bit, nation if you ha'n't, murmured Annie judicially. It's well to be you." In a few moments Arabella replied in a curiously low, hungry tone of latent sensuousness. "'I've got him to care for me, yes, but I want him to more than care for me. I want him to have me, to marry me. I must have him. I can't do without him. He's the sort of man I long for. I shall go mad if I can't give myself to him altogether. I felt I should when I first saw him. As he is a romance and straightforward honest chap, he is to be had and as a husband, if you set about catching him in the right way." Arabella remained thinking a while. "'What may be the right way?' she asked. "'Oh, you don't know, you don't,' said Sarah, the third girl. "'On my word I don't. No further, that is, than by plain courting, and taking care we don't go too far.' The third girl looked at the second. "'She don't know!' "'Tis clear she don't,' said Annie. And having lived in a town too, as one may say, 
Well, we can teach ye some it then, as well as you us. Yes. And how do you mean a sure way to gain a man? Take me for an innocent and have done with it. As a husband. As a husband. A countryman that's honourable and serious-minded such as he. God forbid that I should say a soldier or sailor or commercial gent from the towns, or any of them that be slippery with poor women. I'd do no friend that harm. Well, such as he, of course. Arabella's companions looked at each other, and turning up their eyes in drollery began smirking. Then one went up close to Arabella, and although nobody was near, imparted some information in a low tone, the other observing curiously the effect upon Arabella. "'Ah!' said the last named slowly. "'I own I didn't think of that way. But suppose he isn't honourable. A woman had better not have tried it.' "'Nothing venture, nothing have. Besides, you make sure that he's honourable before you begin. You'd be safe enough with yours. I wish I had the chance. Lots of girls do it. Or do you think they'd get married at all?' Arabella pursued her way in silent thought. "'I'll try it,' she whispered, but not to them. End of chapter 7